0: Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me on the NCP crew, Richard. I am indeed with you all the way. <laughs> that's creepy, dude. Uh, Luke? Yeah, so I'm not with you, but I'm watching what you're doing. What you're doing? Yeah, you need some work. <laughs> that's even creepier. And Crystal? I'm um, in the same room. <laughs> Our regular listeners will know that this is our second anniversary.
1: Yay!
2: Yay! NCP is
0: two years old and <laughs> we act like big it. big boys
2: now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the big boy pants. No. Big girl that's pants. Not, that's what two year olds say. Oh, no. No. Oh. no, 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 uh, no. So to mark this special occasion for this episode, we have two dust jackets. Yay! When, when one dust jacket is,
3: just isn't enough. Because Dave has finally realised that dust jacket is the only good section really on this show. Because I run it! (laughs) Uh, Continuing
0: our tradition of reviewing an Isaac Asimov book every anniversary, um, our first dust jacket will be The Caves of Steel. Yay! Uh, We then have a special opportunity to review a book that hasn't even come out yet. Who is Killing the Great Caves of Europa by Andres Bergen. So it's over to Captain Dust Jacket for The Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov.
3: First, I want to say that uh, honestly, every time we review it as a mob book, I get excited. Uh, this is this is no different. Two tail, two tail two tail loaded. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What? Do not
2: ask. <laughs> <laughs> I only know about it for long exi- association with these gentlemen. And in that reference, I use the term loosely.
3: So, um, like a lot of stories of the time, uh, the Cage of Steel was actually first serialized in Galaxy Magazine in 1953 before being published in its first edition as a novel in 1954. It's the introduction of two uh, key characters uh, that would actually play a role in a lot of Asimov's novels from this point onwards. First is Elijah Bailey, a, a human detective. And the second is R. Daniel... Is it Oliver? Oliver? I'm Oliver? No, I always Oliver. say Oliver. Uh, uh, Elijah and Daniel are actually... Detectives, one human, one robotic. <laughs> they live three millennia into Earth's future, um, in a world where hyperspace travel and things between worlds has been discovered. There's been colonization of other planets and and so on. So um, Daniel, you know, employs a lot of the um, kind of the, the standard tropes that um, Asimov applies to his robots. He's still applying the three laws and the things as we discovered last year when we reviewed iRobot. So the the basic plot of the Caves of Steel um, resolves, revolves around uh, the death of um, Roj Sarton, who is an ambassador who lives in Spacetown, which is just outside of you know, a highly populated New York. He is try- uh, The ambassador is trying to promote better relations and better rights for robots, and he basically gets killed and Elijah is put um, in charge of the investigation and then is assigned a robot partner in Daniel. Then from there, together, they, um, they basically have to try and solve this crime. But at the same time, Daniel is trying to explore the nature of humanity and trying to understand the nature of humanity. And so he's, using, he, he's trying to get a lot of that from Elijah. Mm. And Elijah, through his interaction with Daniel, gets a better understanding of robots and, and the nature of robots and mm. the philosophy behind all of that.
2: Just interject there, Captain Dust Jacket. Um, Please she do. pointed out that Elijah Bailey is actually a borderline racist? Yes, um, he is. Because Absolutely, he is. Robots. Uh, oh. One of the interesting things about the world is that robots um, themselves are actually quite maligned against, um, treated not even as second-class citizens. They are actually kicked. They are beaten up. They are destroyed. They're ordered about, um, and there is a there is a hatred towards them. And one of this is, one of the things about this is that Elijah Bailey. Is also trying to break down his prejudice mm. towards robots.
3: Yeah. Is, um. is it racist if you're anti-robot? I'd say roboticist, but that's kind of somebody that works on robots. Mm. But
2: yeah, but, okay, uh, raci- uh, racism
3: towards robots. Prejudice <laughs>
2: yeah. prejudiced against
3: um, prejudice robots. Prejudice a good word, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And look, honestly, whilst the, mis- the mystery is interesting and the-, the steps they go through to solve the mystery mm. is interesting, for me, what really makes this novel is actually the interaction between the two of them. Mm. Um, and through them the greater exploration of human nature that comes from that as well. Mm. But they are two absolutely awesome characters, mm. beautifully developed characters as the story progresses. They both follow an arc, as Luke said. Um, you know, you have Elijah and his attempts to deal with his own prejudices, and you have Daniil and his attempts to understand, really, things like morality. Mm. And, in fact, one of the key um, transitions he goes through as a character is coming to an understanding of morality, and towards the end of the book, he actually starts showing his own level of morality. Mm.
1: Um, I, th- I think the uh, relationship is—is is they try to duplicate it on Star Trek: The Next Generation with LaForge Forge and Data.
3: Yeah, mm. but mm. LaForge is not anywhere not near as really
1: interesting as Elijah Bailey. Unfortunately, so yeah. yeah.
0: and not prejudiced. Yeah.
1: No, no, no. no. But well, I'm he's just He's practically saying, in love with them. No, I'm just—I'm just talking about the <laughs> uh, the. Uh, <laughs> Data learning about humanity and yeah. Large, uh, mm. large, yeah, no, no LaForge, that... not large, <laughs> LaForge, uh, sort of teaching him the ways of the human,
0: the ways of the human, <laughs> the
2: way, him
1: the what way those he's salty emissions mean. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: but the, the really the, the, the key strength is, of course, the relationship between Ardeniel and Elijah. But in terms of Elijah's character, one of the nice things about him is that he's trying to solve this mystery. And in this and in the other novels, everything is placed upon, upon him to solve it. You know, he's going yeah. to lose quite yeah. a lot personally, yeah. and lose, but and the world, Earth itself, is going to lose quite a lot. Yeah. But one of the nice things is that he gets stuff wrong.
1: Yeah. That is um, absolutely
2: also, is, right. Get, like this, the, the, spectacularly the, 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 the,
1: spectacularly yeah, wrong. <laughs> spectacularly wrong. The
2: first time where he actually <laughs> accuses um, uh, one of the suspects of something. Yeah. He does it in an uh, outstandingly public fashion. Yes. And then Adaniel uh, comes, and, and you know, he, he does it logically. He re- points out all the pre and all the evidence as as it stands. And then Adaniel uh, comes and goes. No, that's not it for these these and reasons. Um, and then it actually, it eventually turns out that he's actually right in the end anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. But one of the things Elijah Bailey is a very flawed mm. human being, mm. um, and you know he. Completely opposite to some of Asimov's other characters, and to a lot of other characters at the time in science fiction, where you know, yeah. trumped up Superman. Um, he's actually quite deeply, um, yeah, quite uh, quite a flawed character in and of himself, and it's really interesting to follow.
0: It's I absolutely uh, adore that bit with the very first time that he thinks he's got it all figured out. Mm. I uh, when I got to that bit, I thought, is this actually? I I didn't really didn't know if it was a full full novel or if it was a collection of short stories. I Robot style. Mm. I was like oh, we have come to the end already. That was pretty quick. I mean, mm. It wasn't too hard, was it, in the end? <laughs> it all makes perfect sense. And then he gets shut down. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, just look like a complete mm. idiot. If it was filmed as a comedy, it would work. Mm. And uh, and then, yeah. And actually, it
3: actually has, there's three times where that happens, where
0: yeah. the at the end he's right. But yeah. there's like three <laughs> three occurrences well, well, where he's so got to figure it so figured out. It's hilarious.
3: What I, what I think this book does, and it does come to the point that you're making a little bit about Elijah Bailey, is... There's been a lot of attempts over the years to mix kind of your hard-boiled crime noir type story mm. with a science fiction mm. setting. Um, you know, in films, obviously, I think Blade Runner is the, the perfect example of that. But um, Asimov just just nails it in this book. Mm. And you know, Bailey is very much that um, that kind of flawed Philip Marlowe type character. And you can sort of see, I think, the influences of of a of a Marlowe or a Sam Spade on Bailey mm. um but yeah I'd, I'd actually say this is probably I think the best example of of merging those two genres together
2: mm. I think in, in this instance it's helped because even though Asimov is famous for his science fiction work and then his non-fiction science books um he was also he, he actually tried to write as widely as he could many genres one of his favorites being mysteries so he actually wrote uh, um he wrote stories for things places like Elderly Queen and
1: yeah I read um, one of his mysteries recently in uh the... Detective actually was a uh, a lot like Columbo, written before mm. Columbo. Mm-hmm. So,
0: *Case K- of K- 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 was actually his first attempt at a at a detective robot sort mm. of story, and it was it was written because a friend of his um, said that they were the two genres that could never actually be sort of put together yeah. in a story in a story, and he said, and and said. No, I, and I, just, I disagree. And I'm as Asimov, and, I can do it. It wasn't like a, a fight. It's yeah. just It's like, oh, I just don't think they can be done. And Asimov was like, well, I think it can be done. And yes, here it
3: he is. And he completely proved his <laughs> friend <Robert. laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Um I am sort to of talk about, I think this is
2: actually one of the more fascinating future Earths that have actually ever been committed to paper and celluloid. Mm. Um, because whilst you can see bits and pieces these days um, of things like, you can read a bit of Blade Runner into into Pieces here and there, which is more my reading as opposed to what Asimov intended. Mm. Um, it is a completely original world, but yet it mm. is very fascinating. Humanity has in fact been shut off into these um, global
0: uh, global maze-like structures, um, yeah, yeah like, the, like super cities. So super cities. Uh, the case of seal of the tile are mm. basically these super cities mm. that have sort mm. of that have taken over mm. instead of the cities of old. Mm. Um, with the different boroughs and stuff like that, mm. you've actually just got the one city under mm. the dome. Yeah, and they, they
3: build up yeah, rather they than out.
0: Mm. Yep. And mm. the interesting thing about
2: them is that they are at one, at at one first glance quite futuristic. You know, mm. sort of a bit gleaming, and you have know, got it seems a like speeding, the perfect system at first. Yeah, speeding transporters and things mm. like that. But at the same time, people are living in hovels
0: yeah. and mm.
2: um, in, in very cramped conditions and very interesting social conditions as well
0: yeah the
1: personals
2: um, yeah the personals you know the the rules that go along there the um the rules about bringing people into your own home and interacting with um married people and things like that as opposed to the world of the spaces that Dan, yeah. daniel comes into in from
1: yeah
2: um i think is actually fascinating I think it's one of the best or if not the best futurists that have ever been created
1: yeah this book has it all it's got uh, it's, it's got world building it's got story it's got interesting characters which are a lot of um, modern science fiction movies mm-hmm. in particular, forget about the thing. It's all about the, the big shiny spaceship and mm-hmm. how fast it can go and blasters and action and and forget yeah, about story the, and the killer prize and, and, mm-hmm. and mystery and well, a, a world time, building.
3: A lot of the time with world building it's not about the big glossy things that you've just mm-hmm. mentioned yeah. there exactly. It's about those little details. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nuances and, the, and and also more importantly I think why the world is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And then how does that then reflect upon um, the characters themselves, because obviously they're products of their world. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think Asimov just shows across the board from the robot books, from you know the Bailey Mysteries through Foundation, he's just a master world builder, and he's a master builder at understanding then the cultural and social mm. elements of those worlds as well.
1: And speaking of the little details, I, I often, uh, and Asimov talks about it himself how he sort of predicts what will happen in the future technology wise and. You often look back and go, "Well, he we got the computers wrong because they kept getting bigger and bigger, but he got the little tiny storage device right—the mm-hmm. data storage—it was on a piece of card, and you had to look at it through a reader. But it's pretty much a USB yeah. drive." Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's a couple of moments in this book where um, Bailey's actually in the office of his boss, mm-hmm. and he's sort of looking out the window at what the these actual super city structures are like, where it's yeah. all just concrete and steel and you can't really yeah. see much of anything else and he, he comes back to this this same window a couple of times um, which I think is a great way of illustrating the nature of the world without yeah. going oh this is the nature of the world yeah. because yeah. it's more Bailey's reflection on what he's seeing yeah. outside the window and, and also because it's um, the only
1: window who exactly, a, he yeah. talks about it as a, a medieval, mm. a, a medievalist thing as the uh, commissioner also wears spectacles which yeah. are a med- medievalist yeah. thing
0: yeah.
2: But another thing is that, you know, for all the, as spectacular as world building is, he's a master, he's a very good plotter, you know, he understands mm-hmm. action and getting characters from A to B. At no point did I feel bored. Mm-hmm. I actually, this is a book that I wanted to keep reading. This, yeah. I put this as my book of 2012. I yeah. really enjoyed yeah. it, and be, I wanted to go and read yeah. books two and three after this, which are also quite enjoyable.
1: And what's amazing about that, him being a, a master plotter is he starts at the start and works his way through and goes to the end. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, he just types it all as it comes out, mm. that's just mm. how he does it
2: um and I think this book pays this gets back to character with this book this book is a shining um, example against what is one of uh Asimov's, what is seen as one of Asimov's chief flaws by a lot of his critics, which is that he tends to write characters all the same. at no point did I feel anyone was anyone was like Elijah Bailey at no point did I feel Elijah Bailey was like anyone else. He's a distinct character in and of himself, and that comes back down to Asimov's ability as a writer and a storyteller. Yeah.
3: Just before we do the final thoughts, we haven't actually done this for a while, but um, you might remember when we first started our um, our dust jackets, we were looking at um, a list on Sci-Fi Lists of where books were ranked of uh, the greatest science fiction novels of all time. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I'd give you a, just a brief thing. Caves of Steel is actually ranked number thirty on this list, it's and a it travesty. is it is actually the third book for Asimov after um Foundation, which was number three, and iRobot I at number ten. So just to give you an idea of just how highly this book is ranked. Not a, not above his two most famous books, mm. but you know, clearly considered by many to be the third yeah. best book that he wrote. So anyway, let's get some final thoughts, guys. Um everybody's mentioned
0: uh, you know, how awesome the story itself is and and um, the two main characters are and it's all true I mean, the world building it, I, I agree with everything everybody said one of my favorite moments actually is the bit that That basically proves that Isaac was married at some point because he's talking about Bailey and his wife Jesse, and this this event that happened in the past uh, Jesse's real name is Jezebel and there's there's quite a few biblical references in this book um, Which pays off right at the end? Jess, Jezebel uh, quite actually, actually really enjoys her name, having her name, because in this society where women are basically like the 50s sort of style of women, sort of like they sort of, they do what they're told and, you know, the good little wife and they make the dinner and, you know, the minor business, they go off and play bridge every now and again. And, uh, but she quite enjoys the fact that her name is Jezebel because it, the, 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 the concept of Jezebel being this salacious, you know, nasty sort of sexy sort of woman. And uh, she, it's, it gives her sort of private pleasure. And uh, Elijah um, has a conversation with her, where he points out that uh, that Jezebel was really, if you really, if you look at it a certain way, Jezebel was actually the perfect wife, I and mean, she was only doing the things that I mean, she did horrible things, but she did them because she thought they were right at the time. Um, so I won't bore you with the full, full details of it. It's just, it's just, it's it's an excellent little sequence where he basically shatters all of uh, Elijah shatters all of her, Jesse's, Dreams um, Mm. and sort of self-image, just with that one statement, and it's that's enough to cause a bit of a rift. I mean, they still love each other; they're still together by the time the story takes place. This is, you know, years. This is before the baby's born. Um, But it's just, I just, I I just found that entire sequence fascinating uh, in terms of just how well it portrays a married couple and their interactions, and just how easy it is to affect another person just with words. And it really is basically just six words. And the rest of the book is brilliant as well. Funny, I actually thought I had read this book before um, back in school or sometime like that because it's famous, it's ridiculous. Um, I actually heard of *Case of Steel before I heard of Foundation. Um, and uh, when I, was, I thought I'd better read it again to sort of give myself a bit of an idea of it um, just so I know what the hell I'm talking about. And I, I got halfway through just before the, the revelation at the end and I realised I actually hadn't read this book before. I like, this is Either I completely wiped it from my brain or I've never read it before ever and I was like... Thank God, I'm actually reading this book because it's, it's just—it's genius from start to finish. Um I give it five looks.
2: Yeah, I like be, like I've actually read it for the first time last year Um and loved it so much that it became my book of my book of last year. There's not a lot that I could say against it. Some of the language might have dated, but that's true of, of quite a lot of books, and I can't hold that against off. Um I give this four point five looks.
1: I, I reread this again and and. Having re-read it, I marvelled at how well the the later Foundation books, which were written thirty years later, tie back into this mm-hmm. story. Um, so I'd highly recommend anyone. If you read this book, then go back and read. If you haven't already read, read the later Foundation books. Mm-hmm. It's all ties together beautifully. It's like a, a an epic. But to stand alone in this book by itself, I would I would give this four and a half
3: looks as well. Yeah, there's really not much more to say. Asimov is a master. This book is awesome. Um, I'm also going to give it four and a half looks.
0: Okay, thanks, Richo. That's Kayser Steel. And uh, don't forget the um, Amazon... uh, We're now part of uh, Amazon Affiliates. There's an Amazon uh, on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com There's a little Amazon widget where you can search uh, through Amazon. doesn't cost you anything extra. It opens up the Amazon page. You can buy uh, whatever you want from there. Um, Check out the case of steel. It's on there. It's available. And we'll have a link on the website as well. Coming up next, another dust jacket. Okay, so for this second we'll be reviewing Who is Killing the Great Capes of Horopa by Andre, or Andres, Bergen. An as-yet-not-published book. That's which right. Is pretty damn cool. It's very exciting. <laughs> I was recently made aware of the writing of uh, Andre, uh, who is an Australian uh, writer and musician, who is now living in Japan with his wife and daughter, Coco. And uh, I reviewed uh, his three books that are available at the moment on our website, um, they are the Tobacco Stained Mountain Goat, 100 Years of vicissitude and the Condimental Op. I then contacted him and mentioned the reviews just to let him know that they were, that they were there and you know to get his opinion. Uh, he took the time to read them and thankfully he loved them. And he also mentioned that he was working on a new novel featuring superheroes. Um, so of course my ears pricked up. I unashamedly begged for a chance to preview uh, the book because it, you know, hasn't obviously hasn't been published yet, and he graciously agreed. So here we are doing it, and I'm glad we are because it, it not only because it's um, cool but, uh, to to be previewing a book, but also because it actually has some some ties into the Caves of Steel, which is pretty cool. It has, I mean, it's uh, it's set in the same universe as Tobacco Stained Goat and uh, 100 Years, um, where Melbourne is the last city left. And uh, he's basically just a big domed city. So, And uh, it's also a sort of, basically a detective story
3: sort of deal. So it's pretty cool. Given that uh, Dave is our expert on under his work, um, I'm actually going to hand over my Captain Dust Jacket keep to him. We can call him, I don't know, Captain Dust Jacket Jr. or something. No, 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 no. no.
2: If you're Captain Dust Jacket, you know, let's, let's stay with the, with the whole book thing here. But yeah. If
0: you're Captain Dust Jacket, surely he's blurb. Blurb the boy wonder. <laughs> that is awesome. I'm cool with that. All right, it's better than we'll wearing. Uh, I don't know we can't remember which episode it was, but where you, you gave me the uh, the the Captain Dust Jacket underwear or something.
3: Yeah, look, like, what um, the hell, man. Yeah, I've I've been told that that's against certain health regulations. So, <laughs> oh, uh, yes. it is. Okay. just the cape this time. Um,
2: you know, you 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 pick on
0: him for that, but you know you're wearing them at the moment. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've washed them since though, so that's cool. I only just I only wear them to.
2: Anyway, yeah, so. you're, not to, <laughs> you're not meant to wear them on the outside. That's
0: the thing. So, <laughs> it's over to you, blurb the boy wonder. Thank you, Captain Dust Jacket. Uh So, who is killing the great
3: capes of Heropa? I uh, am. Are you? You know, you could have saved me reading the book. I you just said that. I've, <laughs> read, I've read
0: the book, and I'm pretty sure that is not you. Um, it uh, is going to be published in October by Perfect Edge Books. Um, so check it out. Uh, like I said, it is a superhero uh, detective story um, set in the sa- the same universe as Andre's other other works. Uh, Melbourne is the the last city left after you know the rest of the world's wiped themselves out, and the the all the rich and famous uh, live in this dome, and all the surrounding boroughs like Richmond and stuff <laughs> are all like you know desolate waste. You know, and you know hovels, and it's always raining slums. all the time. And, yeah, slums. That's the word. Thank you, Richard. And um, it's just a horrible, terrible place to live. Um, oh, so Melbourne itself
1: is domed, but outside of it, near yeah, the, the suburbs. C- the CBD
0: of, of Melbourne is domed. Yeah. Mm. So I think it extends as far as maybe Carlton, mm. so that yep. sort of area. Yep. And the rest of it is just all. That's why it's raining. Yeah, it's always yeah. raining all the time. So Frankston hasn't just changed then. No, the Frankston basically yeah. is the
3: same. I was going to say, part, part of the book is actually set in Preston and Thornbury, and really, you wouldn't notice the difference. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. The story centres around the main character
0: Jack, um, who, you know, has a you know, lives a horrible existence like the rest of the, you know, the poor Melbourneians, um, and uh, as, a, attempts to escape this horrible existence by existing in a virtual world called Horopa. Um, it's not entirely legal this <laughs> virtual world, and how he manages to pay for it, I'm, I'm not too sure, but it's never really explained. But uh, here he is in his virtual world. So Horopa uh, is an amalgamation of, of all the things that Andre loves about comics. It's, it's, a, it's a neo sort of art deco sort of environment in sort of cer- certain areas of the game. And there's, there's you know, flying dirigible, flying blimps and, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, all various sort of stuff that you would find in sort of, a sort of Jack Kirby sort of style era all the way up to sort of, you know, like the 90s sort of style comic book stuff. Basically a, a virtual, it's basically the Matrix, really, essentially mm-hmm. with superheroes.
1: The character he first meets isn't he Stan Kirby?
0: Yeah, the, um, it's got it's, it's got NPCs in there as well, but and uh, one of them is the doorman uh, who is named after Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, um, sort of amalgamation of those two characters. Well, points for me because I picked up on that reference. <laughs> yeah, it's hey, very cool. Right up go. The heroes in this world are called Capes, um, and everybody else, uh, all the M- the NPCs, um, are called Blandos. And the NPCs are, are meant to be a computer controlled um, and the capes are real people in the real world and not all the capes are all you know muscle-bound superheroes one of them actually just uh, decides to be a reporter so she still has an ability like a super ability as the title suggests um, someone is killing off uh, the capes uh, which is supposed to be not really possible um, and uh, is pretty hard to do because you can just say the your password and get shunted back to the real world again uh, but unfortunately, uh, the downside is if you die in the game, um, you die in the real world, or at least become like a zombie coma victim type deal. Well, let's face it, living in Melbourne in this time, really, that's not that a problem really? <laughs> when you you think that's probably that's probably beneficial, but um, it's you know you you want to try to avoid it. If anything happens uh, in game in terms of uh, injuries, if you don't have uh, sort of like a, if you don't have Wolverines regenerative abilities, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it, it ha- the reset occurs and the world goes back to normal. I kind of picture it as sort of like the Dark City situation, mm. Mm. You know, everything's like moving around and stuff. That's yeah. how I picture it in my brain. Yeah, well, you. I mean,
3: the interesting thing to point out with the reset too is that um, all of the NPC people all the Blandos actually don't remember what happened the day before, whereas yeah. the superheroes do.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but thanks, Yeah, that's fine, that's no, cool. Um, so that's the mystery. Uh, Jack you know, right. basically just wants to uh, uh, exist in this world. He falls in love, um, but he, has to, he finds himself having to solve the mystery of who's killing the Capes, mainly because he, you know,
3: before he gets killed himself. Yeah, he adopts um, the identity of Southern Cross. Mm. And actually, I must admit, I do like the way that he comes across this identity he whilst rummaging around in the real world um in an area in Richmond i believe it was mm. he actually comes across a, a stash of old comics from the 1960s and um they kind of uh, uh, you get the sense that they were his escapism from the real world to begin with but in amongst all of those comics he finds a letter um that somebody had written to Stan Lee with a sketch of this character called Southern Cross, with the argument being that Australia didn't really have its own Captain America or, or Captain Britain. Or, so obviously some reader who has read these comics has written to Stan saying, you should use this character, you know, I think it'd be really cool. And it's I'm it's not, just, not just some
0: reader, it's actually uh, Deeps, the, who, is in, who is the richest man in Melbourne
3: in the other novels. Ah, uh, okay. So I had having yeah. not actually read the other novels and we'll get to that yeah. a little bit later, I didn't know that, but um but yeah, so he actually he actually takes this southern cross um, design and when he's given the opportunity to enter Hiropa, that's the, the design that he actually presents to the people as his character. Yeah. Which I think is kinda cool actually. It is cool. You can it's get you a, get to sorry. pick what
0: you look like and you get you pick one power.
3: Yeah, but he had yeah. no idea what to pick, so they gave him plasma bolt, which is yes.
0: kind of weird. which only
3: comes out of one hand.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and almost breaks his arm every time he uses it. Which <laughs> I thought it was an interesting twist. Before we get on with uh, our reviews and what we think uh, and uh, ratings and stuff like that, I just I do want to mention that N- uh, NCP actually have the honour of being in the acknowledgement page um, of this book, which is bloody awesome. <laughs> so, I just <laughs> I cannot tell you how freaking awesome it is. Um, so no Culture Podcast uh, is, is acknowledged um, before we even review it, <laughs> which is uh, pretty impressive stuff. Although it hasn't been published yet, he might take that out. <laughs> <laughs> but he has got the, He, has, he did he, yesterday he did send me the final proof, so there's no going back now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'll let everybody else um, um, say their pieces and I'll jump in with my, my review and stuff. Starting with Luke. I actually came into this
2: not having read uh, Mountain, Go- Mountain Stained Tobacco Goat. The tobacco stained mountain. Goat. Tobacco stained mountain. Goat. <laughs> Although hey, both worked there. Or 100 years of Is Jude, or um, the Condimental Op, yeah. which I actually kind of thought is really cool. But yeah, that's, great that's, title. That's because I'm a um,
0: Dashiell Hammett fan. Yeah, it is um, actually based on that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so go, uh, going into this, um, it, it was a lot of the references you just talked about then, basically with, with, with Deeps that being the mayor. Um, didn't quite register, um, and yeah. I think I had a, b- a bit of a problem with uh, the novel based on a lot of that. It, as much as it was trying to be standalone, it still required a little bit of knowledge about what had happened to Melbourne, particularly when we get into Jack's backstory and his no. origin story. Okay. Um, it, was, uh, it, 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 it was clear enough what was going on, but not with the, um, the emotional attachment to it. I kind of felt there was more to the story um, that I actually wanted to know, but I wasn't being told about. And um, I kind of wondered, I kind of wondered whether it was, you know, all this stuff had happened in the other novels, or he was saving something for the next, mm. um, you know, the next few. That's, that's where I thought this was going. This is, There's is going to be a, a, a series of Heropas specific novels that he could focus on. The two big um, things that really stood out for me that I had a pro- hard time getting it getting around Jack as a character. Uh, on, on first glance, he just seemed to be sort of the more basic formulaic, not quite nerdy kid, but that the the, the Peter Parker. Mm. Type character, um, which is fine. If that, which is fine, and there are enough um, uh, enough examples of them coming with Lord to be um, archetypal. Um, but when it came down to the nuts and bolts of the character himself, I kind of, I didn't, I was, I t- I felt too distant from him. There was nothing about his situation, in Europa, that I was engaged with. In the real world, it's a, a slightly different story. But then we get told a lot of stuff about what has happened to Jack, and not allowed to experience it with Jack. And I thought that, that carried over into Europa itself. I get told a lot of stuff about Jack, but I never really get to see him do anything, particularly get involved in the mystery. Um, the, who's, the, you know, it's, as it says in the title, Who's Killing the Great Caves of Europa? A lot of them talk about it, um, but we never actually see Jack or any of the others really get involved in it, apart from um, maybe Gypsy Ann. Um, the, the mystery he gets interested in is um, Louise's, Louise's mystery. And out of all actually a much more interesting mystery because Jack was interested um he was, he was actually trying to find out stuff about louise that um he about louise that he could um then bring to their relationship and that and that's why there was an emotional connection there whereas with everything else it was sort of more academic it was more on a more intellectual level and um I felt distant as a result of that. The other big thing was that Hiropa as a world didn't quite come alive for me. I, kind of, I, could, I could see the influences, I could, I could picture the Art Deco, but as a world, I just wasn't as engaged as I might fully have liked. I wanted to really like this novel, and went in with, you know, uh, went in, you know, trying to be as open-minded as I could, um, but then got bogged down. Jack himself as a character wasn't, for me, wasn't coming alive.
3: I actually, to a certain extent, I agree with you about Jack as a character, Converse to that, however, there are some absolutely wonderful supporting characters in this. I loved Brick, Mm. and the relationship between Jack and Brick, um, I think, is is a really strong one. Mm. Um, Brick plays on, obviously, on the Ben Grimm model quite a bit, and so maybe part of it is also my nostalgia and my absolute love of Ben Grimm as a character. But I think Brick is also a character in his own right. He has a a romantic connection with a character in um the book who I won't spoil but he has a romantic connection which is actually I think one of the, the stronger and more emotional parts of the story as well. I thought Pretty Amazonia was um it was a really fun character and really interesting character and um uh Gypsy Stella Gypsy Lee Stella, is that her full name? Yeah, Gypsy Ann she gets called. Gypsy Ann, sorry. Um Gypsy Ann was it was a an, another great character. Uh, Professor Segwin? I really liked. Um, I mean, a lot of these people, they kind of they fit into a certain character mould, but the way that he writes them also sort of expands and, and, and in some cases even breaks that mould of character as well. Mm. Um, and I think uh, Jack's relationship with, with Louise mm. is a really strong point um, of the novel as well. So the, the, those character interactions that Jack has, whilst I'm not necessarily that invested in Jack himself... But the characters around him, I think, are wonderful. And that, that to me, I think, was probably the biggest strength of the novel. For me, I agree with you about Jack and the mystery in that he's not really driving a lot of what's going on. Um, He's not finding stuff out. He is being told a lot of stuff by people. Mm. And people are revealing information to him, but he's not the one actually finding that information himself. Um, So I think whilst whilst I love the character interactions was a real strength, I thought the actual mystery itself... Outside of the one with Louise, which I agree with you is the more interesting mystery, but the actual killing of the of the capes themselves, I thought was probably the weaker story in this.
1: I don't. I think that's okay because when Jack was never established as a detective from the start, he was just there as a character to, to play the game. Um, so to, to, he just experiences this mystery the way anyone else would. Uh, he he wasn't there initially to set out to solve anything.
3: No, but once the mystery is presented, and given that the book is called Who's Killing the Great Capes of Europa? So even in the title, Mm. they're establishing that this is a mystery novel. Yeah, I I would have liked to have seen Jack doing a little bit more. Mm. And also, no one seems too concerned about people killing the Great Capes Mm. to begin with. Mm. All these people are dying, but um, there's not a great sense of um, emotional loss to any of these. Mm. Um, The greater emotional loss comes once with Brick which, once again, I won't spoil, but also with um, what Jack's going through in his relationship with Louise. Mm. But yeah, I think I, I think once you're establishing that this is a mystery novel, and the clear influences of writers like Chandler and Hammett especially, I, I would have liked to have seen Jack actually, not necessarily being a super detective or anything, but at least being thrown into the actual mystery itself and trying to because you know, characters like Stella are the ones that seem to find the information more than Jack does.
1: Mm. Well, I, don't, I don't mind it. It's just it's kind of breaking the mould a bit and having the main character not actually being the one doing the detecting.
3: But then the main character's not doing much of anything. Yeah. And that, 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 I think, is my is probably my biggest problem. At least not for the first part of the book. Towards the end, he actually becomes more of a rallying... Mm. The, the the rallying hero that others can sort of get behind in what he does. Mm. But in the, that early section, especially, um, and there is a lot of exposition early on, hmm. a lot of being told what Hiropa is, um, I, I suppose I would have liked a little bit more of a, I guess, a sense of awe and wonder because, I mean, he's, Jack is 15 hmm. years old. If I was a 15-year-old kid, especially a 15-year-old kid living in a slum, and I was suddenly thrown into this virtual superhero world, I'd be a lot more excited and awestruck and wondrous over over this because he's been he's been taken and put into basically the world that he loves to read about anyway i'd be i'd be wrapped i'd be i'd be exploring my powers the world i'd be doing all sorts of cool stuff and and i think that that might have given me a bit more of a sense of wonder as what you what luke was talking about earlier that sense of discovery of Europa itself Mm. as a world um but as i said like the character interaction stuff i think is fantastic
1: I found it uh, hard to get into initially because I was, uh, Jack seemed to be just as confused as I was as to where he was and what he was doing. Mm. Uh, I would have liked to have at least, Jack to at least acknowledge that he was in a game
0: Mm.
1: Um, that you're just sort of thrown straight into the universe and you're finding out along with Jack where you are and and what the rules are. He seems to know a little bit more than you do, but he's not passing that on. Mm. But once I got past that and got into the mystery, um, especially the mystery surrounding Louise, it got much more interesting for me. And I was a bit more of a page turner. I really like the cyberpunk nature of it, mm. um, as opposed to not, I'm not a huge, as regular listeners would well, know, I'm not a huge comic book fan. I, I, I've got You've often heard me say, oh, I've had enough of the capes. <laughs> so, And this book was is kind of a comic book in a novel format, but it was interesting in that the story was well told, uh, got involved in the, the characters, as mentioned before.
3: Actually, you do bring up a good point about not really knowing what's going on in the world. And um, I'd actually like to direct this to Dave, because you have read the the other books set in this universe. Um I, I didn't get a great sense of Melbourne, um, a, a little bits and pieces here, which is understandable given Jack's perspective. Is it is it easier if you've read those earlier novels to sort of get more involved in what's going on?
0: I don't really. I wouldn't really say it's easier because I didn't find any difficulty at all. But okay. um, it it is. There are a little. I mean, the other books. I mean, especially Mountain Goat flesh out Melbourne right. more, right. Um, and. There are little cool little nods, like yeah. I mean, like I mentioned before about you know the guy who sent in the Southern Cross design, mm-hmm. who he actually was, and um, at one point when Jack gets ripped back into the real world for a brief for, for a two day penalty, um, he actually bumps into the main character from Mountain Goat. Um, which is pretty cool.
3: Is the, that... The scene um, where he's
0: with the kids and they're outside the arcade and they're all, right, they're okay. all talking and the, right. the guy in the trench coat rocks up and he's like, you know, all right, all right you lot, like, bugger off. Right, okay. And he goes and talks to that girl. Well, yeah. That's, a, that's a, an alternate view of a scene from Mountain Go. Oh, okay. Which, okay. Uh, you know, but as, a, as a reader of that novel, I was like, that's awesome! Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I guess, I, I, guess I, I, I do sort of agree with what, what Crystal was saying in terms of um, it starts quite abruptly. Um, but I didn't. I didn't have a problem with that um, myself because uh, it sort of mirrored exactly what was happening with Jack as well. You find out a couple of pages in sort of stuff. It's like that he's in. He's in obviously a world that doesn't really exist, and so I was, I was pretty easy with it. I mean, it would definitely <laughs> help to read the others mainly yeah. because they're brilliant.
3: Well, there was, there was. I mean, I must have been reading this book, I was actually thinking quite a lot, gee, I'd like to know more about Melbourne and what's yeah. happened to Melbourne mm-hmm. and what the mm-hmm. nature of Melbourne is. Because I actually didn't realise that this was actually, I guess, technically what the third book yeah. said so, in this so, universe. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so I didn't realise that at all. So I, I guess one of my complaints was I wanted to know a lot more about Melbourne. But now that I realise that, obviously, you know, if I read those earlier books, I'll I will actually have that sort of background knowledge and whilst it's probably not essential to um to what goes on in this story Hmm. for me for me i I love that world world building aspect of things so yeah i I probably should have read that first book
0: well no but that's the thing though you don't really need to i mean it's i mean yeah it does flesh out a lot more but i mean i think this book knowing what i know this book tells you all you need to know about melton and essentially is that jack's existence is sucky and yes, he'd rather, his existence He'd rather, he'd rather, he'd rather, he'd rather be no in, a, that. <laughs> in the Matrix than he would be in the real world. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really all you really need to
1: know. I would have liked to have known a bit more about what this, um, why his parents were taken mm. away, what you know, all you're told really it was because they were convicted of
0: sedition. Mm. Yeah, um, and, that, and that isn't, but, isn't that enough. No, yeah. but what, what well, doing, you don't I mean,
1: really need to know for the rest of the story to to mm-hmm. enjoy the rest of the story, but I, it's just a little curious thing I'm but, interested mm-hmm. to know about.
2: But to take that, i even even further. Crystal would actually inform the, a lot of it, a lot of uh, Jack's attitudes and the way that he would operate in the um, in Europa itself and mm-hmm. in life in general. So mm-hmm. actually, taking that idea and learning a little, and having him talk about his parents, or you know, uh, trying to. Um bring that out might actually yeah. have given his character a little bit more um depth.
1: Well, it's an interesting point to to make that we're living in a world here where it, the the government feel it's okay to leave a well he would have been thirteen at the time, a thirteen year old kid on his own
0: mm-hmm.
1: um with our parents.
0: Yeah. As a fan of the uh the first two novels, um if you check out my review online I gave uh Mountain Goat five out of five and um hundred years. out of 5, Um, they are brilliant, and uh, so I went into this very excited, uh, not only just because it's superheroes, because let's face it, I'm a superhero nerd, but also, you know, because it was, you know, a continuation of of that universe, Um, I do, I do take on board um, what the others have said, it is, Jack, I mean, I'll be honest, Jack's not really that interesting a character, um, himself, but I found that that actually kind of made sense to me. Actually, I, I didn't mind the fact that, that he wasn't the one doing the investigating because he really wasn't that smart. And mm. um, um, it made more sense for Gypsy to sort of figure it out. Um, and and his, his relationship with Louise, um, to me, was also more interesting. I, I, I'll agree. that um, I mean, it's when you actually eventually do find out who is killing the capes, it is, it is cool um it, it's It's a cool idea, and I understand and it 's very comic booky and it all makes it all makes perfect sense um but uh I was actually more excited about finding out what happens to Jack and louise and and uh, mm. you know where they go from there but I actually found this kind of refreshing I, I i was i I was actually pretty i was happy to read a story where the main character wasn't the main even let's basically it he really wasn't the main thrust of the story most even the most interesting person that the the supporting characters were um and the world building itself um yeah coming into it as a reader of the first two novels i mean yeah i, I guess thinking about it I did have a bit of an edge um so I could um take advantage of the Easter egg like moments when um like I see where he bumps into the character from mountain goat um uh but it you didn't you don't need it, you don't need to have read the first. The first two actually i'm going to change that. you do have to have read the first two because you should because they're <laughs> awesome so read them now. The first one you can download for free you can can't go wrong there <laughs> um and uh but yeah but technically you don't really need to I don't think it was perfect i don't i don't i mean I, I'm a massive um andre Bergen fan as as i've said and uh, but i mean I will admit that I, I didn't think this book was a, a perfect book um unlike mountain goat i mean it's it's there were sort of certain points where it sort of got a bit bogged down um, and didn't really propel forward all that much. But thankfully, they were few and far between, uh, I thought. I really enjoyed this, um, and I am very much looking forward to the next book, because I think all the strengths from this will be carried over to the next one, hopefully, and it will continue on um, the story, and we'll we'll see a bit more of not just the universe of post-apocalyptic Melbourne, um, but also... Uh, Haropa as as a as a world, and I gave this uh, four point five looks. Uh, once I got past the the start and got into it, I, I quite enjoyed
1: it, and I, I didn't have a problem with Jack not being the the driving character. I ended up, I tended to view him more as of the narrator rather than the uh, actually the main character, because um, stuff seemed to be happening around him. Like I said before, I really enjoyed the cyber, cyberpunk nature of it and the, I thought the world building was really good and I actually did think it would be interesting to to read more stuff set in that universe even though I'm not a huge superhero fan. There was a lot of, it wasn't just superhero wham, bam, thank you ma'am, sort of actiony action stuff. was it, There it was a real, whole good story involved in there and I got into it so much that I actually had a reaction when I got to the end. If you don't care about a book all that much, you don't have the sort of reaction I had when you got to the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd I'd to, you were
3: quite annoyed.
1: I'd love to talk about that some more, but I can't without spoiling. Maybe in a future episode we might go into that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly after the book
0: is but, published. Uh, yeah, start we'll start. wait until the end of the year after, because yeah. it's published in October. So. Yeah, uh,
1: but uh, if I ever get some time, I might go back and read the others. I'd be interested to see what um, the outside world Melbourne is really like.
0: Do you have an idea of how awesome... this is the world building it is in the first book one of his the main characters one of his friends is a cricketer but because Melbourne's the last city on earth it's basically it's basically these you know these white Australian team versus you know basically a bunch of you know foreigners and deadbeats and stuff team and it's always the same two teams always playing there's always Australia who wins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like, so, that so, sounds so. like Australia and, in the eighties.
1: Yeah, yeah I was
0: just going to say it's uh, so much
3: like Australia in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, so in one of the, and his his friend is in the in the crappy team that always loses, um, because he got you know, he got in trouble for something, and uh, he's in the they're in the bar talking, and uh, <laughs> he, he makes a he makes a comment about how he he uh, he skipped training practice in order to be in the bar and have a drink. And uh, the main character makes a joke about it. He's like, No, no, it's deadly serious. And then a couple of minutes later these two cops, these two stormtroopers show up and arrest him. And they're actually the cricketer the cricketing you know, cricketing force or something. like the cricketing police force and they've arrested him because he missed a training session and they've taken him off to his doom. To the ACB. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and they're wearing their, their armour. They look like stormtroopers, but their armour is, you know, like cricket pads. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny.
1: Well, that's the other thing I was going to say. It was nice to read a science fiction book that was set in Australia that wasn't all acaurisms and, you know, try and get fit in as much Australianisms as you can so people will come to our country. It's, it's so just, awesome. It was the, just a nice science yeah. fiction book that happened to be set yeah. in Australia with Australian
3: people in it.
0: Knowing the references. Like, yeah. like he, he mentioned specific streets in this. Batman yeah. Station. And, yeah, and Batman Station
3: and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I know these ways. Yeah, he's clearly grown up so in So
0: we really of the north, do north have a Batman Station.
1: City. He doesn't just name that after no, the Batman it's real. superhero. We yeah. really
3: do. Yeah, we have a whole Batman section. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just to finish up my final thoughts there, yeah. I'll, I'll give this book three and a half loops.
3: There were things that intrigued me about this book. Um, as I said earlier, the character interactions, and especially the supporting cast, really excellent. Um, and the relationship between Jack and Louise, I think, was the highlight um of the book um yeah like like i said J- jack as a character didn't really didn't really work for me all that well so um I, I thought that was probably the weakest element of the book um but man did i love brick brick was awesome he was <laughs> brick, brick was the man there's no doubt about that um yeah so for, for me overall the book was a, a bit hit and miss um but it has made me intrigued by the tobacco stained uh, Mountain goat. I think, uh, as, as a fan of sort of post-apocalyptic and dystopian worlds, I think I might go and check out that first. And book. Chandler. Sorry. And
0: Raymond Chandler.
3: And Raymond Chandler as well. Yes. Yes, a loose version. The mountain-themed tobacco goat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
3: there's, there's certainly there's certainly things to to check out in this book, um, but I'll, I'll give it uh, two and a half looks.
2: Yeah, I struggled a lot more with this, I think, than the rest of the um, than the rest of the crew. Look, it's not a terrible book by any stretch of the imagination, Uh, but for me, I like a little bit more to what's going on. I give this two looks.
1: Which is a better score than you gave Star Trek.
2: Yes, that's because Star Trek offended me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This book certainly doesn't offend in any way. (laughs) Just one thing I want to mention here, and this this is a major positive for me. Andres, he puts in a lot of little nods to um comic fans, cool. um, you know, characters named after comic creators and things like that. But it's never it never comes to me across as being a oh look at how clever I am. Mm. It's more of a just a you know, you can read this without knowing these. But there's a there's a lot in it, like a lot of those kind of references. But but it's never just a hey look at me, look at how clever I am. It's really just quite a, a subtle little nod here and there. And I appreciate that. I don't mind nods to fans, but when they're too obvious, that's when it gets on my nerves. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he didn't overdo that part of
0: it too much. He's
3: obviously a huge
0: fan. I mean, he's, at the end yeah. of the book, he's, uh, he's got like a list of all these comics that influenced him
3: yeah. and yeah. why.
0: And, um, and just his love for the medium. And, and, uh,
3: and, and a love of Jack Kirby, which I too appreciate. Yeah. And a love of Captain America. Because <laughs> Captain America's awesome. Yeah,
0: the, <laughs> the book itself is actually... Uh, it has a plethora of art uh, inside it as well, which are from just a huge range of artists. Um, a couple of names that would stand out for us are Paul Mason, uh, Carlos Gomez, Joe Kinn, Giovanni Bellati, Milton Kane. The list goes on and on and on. It's uh, got some great stuff in there. Yeah, so that's uh, Who is Killing the Great Capes of Europa. It's out in October from... Perfect Age Books, uh, it'll be available in stores and I'm sure for, uh, online as well. You might even be able to pre-order it on Amazon. I'll check that out, and if you can, I will link it on the page. Thanks, everybody, and thanks, Andre. As a follow-up, I'll actually be interviewing Andre uh, for the next episode. So um, that'll be super fun, Skyping in from Japan.
3: Well, thank you for that, David. Hmm. Uh, no, it's not David, it's Blurb. Thank you for that, Blurb the Boy Wonder. Yeah, yeah give me my cape back. <laughs> Coming up next...
0: Coming soon. Uh, in, in Australian cinemas, June 13, we get Jobs, which is uh, based on Steve Jobs. Uh, After Earth, with Will Smith and his son. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm not sure about that one yet. That mm. could go either way. It's hard what to what tell. What I, th- I find yeah. hilarious about After Earth is actually directed by M. Night Shyamalan, or whatever his name is. On. Yeah. But he's not mentioned in any preview, and he's not even on the poster. He's like in the down the bottom and directed by, it. but you, normally it's you know M Night shala, blah, 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 presents. Uh, or
3: uh, blah, but whatever. this is this is probably not his story though, because so, usually. He's but he directed
0: it, knows.
2: and that's all that matters. But um, I think that, I think that's also proof that um, that that his name now is actually seen as yeah, a detractor. Exactly
0: right. That's supposed. That to, is exactly um, what it is. It's it's, it's had bl- so many disasters that is, they're actually going out of the way not to mention the fact that he did it, which I just think is insulting a wise move because um, it looks like crap
3: <laughs> mm. uh, and the internship talking about looking like crap uh, this is I've, just awful I've, I've seen the trailer for this three or four times now Yeah, and I just I, I just want to punch the face of everybody that's involved in this it looks so unfunny Like it, it looks like an anti-comedy oh, yeah. the
1: Google thing yeah, the, the only the good thing about that movie and which you've already already seen because it's in the trailer is the uh, Professor, Professor Xavier thing mm.
0: That's probably the only fun you've seen in the film. Uh, And they've already already spoiled it It's in the trailer. Uh, (laughs) I've got a lot lot of time for Owen Wilson. I actually actually think he's pretty cool. But God, he's in some terrible, terrible stuff. Yeah, this
3: looks looks abysmally bad.
0: Uh, And then the following week, on June 20, we get Despicable Me 2. The sequel that had to happen.
3: Uh, Despicable Me 1 was okay. Never saw it. Yeah, it was okay. It was entertaining. Uh, World War... Z? It? No! Oh, that came up really loud on this. <laughs> My God, you've spiked it. <laughs> um,
0: which looks, which is nothing like the book, which is a shame. and actually looks pretty dodgy, and I like, do like, I do appreciate the fact that they haven't done a single close up of any of the zombies yet. Mm. I'm getting the feeling they're going to be.
3: They, they haven't really revealed that it's a zombie movie at all. It's going to be um, uh, I
0: Am Legend
3: level. Yeah. of... CGI, yeah, it, it
1: is kind of interesting because you watch the trailer, and if you don't know it's about zombies, you go, "Why are they yeah. shooting down hundreds of people?" Yeah. In
3: there? <laughs> what, um, what amazes me is some of the there's the backstory behind this. They shot the film, showed it to test audiences who reacted so badly to it. That they went and reshot something like 40 to 45 minutes. So basically, almost half the movie was reshot. <laughs> and I can't imagine how that's going to come out when it actually finally makes it onto the it's screen. It's going because to be a disaster. You, usually, you'll do, you'll do reshoots and things like that, but you won't reshoot half a movie. It'll be interesting if it turns out to be genius. Oh, I no, anything's possible, I suppose.
0: The other movie coming out that week is Monsters University, the prequel to Monsters Inc.
3: That had well, to happen? Pixar mm. that had to happen. And uh, yeah, it looks alright. Richard Rich would say that because he loves like, oh, prequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favourite things. Look, Monsters Inc. was okay. I, I, I okay, it was to awesome. It. Um Thank But um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I really need to see a prequel to that movie. Yeah, I'm not interested in. I, like, yeah, prequels, that's not
0: at the point. But uh, Monsters Inc., brilliant stuff, so I'm willing, to, I'm willing to give it a go. Uh, last episode, we had a competition to win the first five hardcovers of The Dark Tower. All you needed to do to win was be the first person to email, tweet, smoke signals, whatever the hax may be, uh, with the name of the game that poor Joel described. Semaphore, Luke's saying. You you can't see it because it's a podcast. (laughs) Now, the name of the game turned out to be Feudal. Uh, It was a game originally from 3M Company in 1967, and uh, as... Young Joel described, it was a, a, a set in the Middle Ages, and it was the, the king versus the barbarian hordes and their, their epic struggle. You know,
1: uh, it sounds unique.
0: <laughs> I haven't played it, but uh, it's, it sounds really, really cool. I tried to track down a copy, um, to, but you can only get it on eBay, and nobody's got a complete set, so it's always missing pieces. I was like, bugger that. Not buying it but missing pieces. Missing pieces. What's the point of that? No. Yeah, the interesting thing is we had four entries. And unfortunately, none of them were right. Now, that's not anything to be embarrassed about because it actually took Joel quite a long time to track this this game down uh, through the Google. Uh, and he eventually, he eventually did find it. At least we had people give it a go. So you four people that entered, legends. You know who you are. So it was quite hard. And uh, even though nobody uh, actually got it correct, uh, that doesn't mean that you should miss out. So what we're going to do is... Put the four people that entered into the hat, and whoever Crystal picks out still wins the five books.
1: Can't ask for more than that.
0: That's right, you cannot ask for more than that. So the there's the hat, N-C-P-H. NCP hat, the four names have gone in there, and the winner is. <coughs> Andrew Kemp, or Kempy, that's K E M P E. Could go either way. We're hopeless with names on this show. Andrew, you know who you are. You're the only Andrew who entered, so... Congratulations! If you could please uh, email in your uh, address, postal address. doesn't have to be your home address. It's all right. I don't want to be creepy. And uh, we will too post late. off... <laughs> I know, it's too late. I already right, am creepy. Um, and, uh, and we'll post off that uh, awesome prize. Congratulations, and I'm jealous. And thanks once again to the magnificent guys, Mitch and Troy, All-Star Comics. Go there. If you don't already shop there, go there. I don't care if you, It's in Melbourne. Even if you don't live in Melbourne, fly over, buy your comics every Wednesday. Do it. Don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at at nerdculturecast or leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com You can also rate and review us on itunes and if you want to support your favorite podcast and the greatest podcast in the universe ncp you can do that through the amazon app on our website Uh, it doesn't cost you anything extra search for the product you want buy it from amazon and uh, they make us happy with monetary gain it's pretty cool wow we have sponsors that's That's cool it's pretty groovy we get three percent i feel last week we made 47 cents Yay. It was magnificent. <laughs> yeah. so I got that's, to eat that week.
3: I you know, got <laughs> to eat. That's 47 more cents that were made for the 52 <laughs> episodes we've done to date. That's right. We don't get paid for this stuff.
0: And I've got to, you know, last episode I had to pay the deposit for for Joel to be on the show.
3: <laughs> Dave doesn't even give us food when we arrive. You're lucky if you get a glass a of nuts. water.
0: I like the thing from the last episode with the tidy titties. tiny teddies. Tiny teddies are awesome. Tiny
3: teddies. If you fed me tiny teddies, I'd be here. Every All right. Week. Next episode, <laughs> I'll have tiny
0: teddies. Awesome. I was going to, I did plan on it for this episode, but I forgot. <laughs> I'm an old man. I forget things easily.
3: Yeah, that's fair enough. So okay,
0: so that's it for episode fifty-two, our second anniversary episode. We rock, and you rock. Thank you for listening. Yeah, that is awesome. Two years. How good are we? That's goodbye from me, and goodbye from him. Richard. (laughs) My teeth
2: killed
3: the heroes of Hiropa. Luke.
2: No, I think I killed the great heroes of Hiropa. I didn't mean to. I think they were just there, and I decided to kick them. I must have been in a bad mood that day. I have bad moods quite often. That's every every day. I'm surprised you guys are all still standing, (laughs)
3: to be perfectly honest. And Crystal. And thank you for playing Name That Game! <laughs> Wait a second, didn't Crystal kill the great heroes of Europa? I could have sworn that that's what Crystal said at the start. That's yeah, funny. Crystal killed the video star. That's fair enough. I Crystal didn't like the video star anyway. The video. That works. Hang <laughs> on, isn't it meant to be that Crystal killed the radio star? I don't
0: know. I up like everything else in this episode. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. <laughs> Crystal
3: <laughs> killed the
0: radio That still works. <laughs> oh, jeez. Bye! Bye! Bye.
3: by the Big Top network. Network.